For eons, financial systems have developed slowly, steadily, predictably. Some new products here, a burgeoning client base there, but ultimately at a relatively torpid pace. That until recently, the dawn of the digital asset has moved the ball quickly down the field and left many of us filled with curiosity and frankly, playing a bit of catch up. On today's edition of the Canadian Reg Tech Association podcast, we sit down with two industry experts to talk about crypto and the age of the dis- digital asset disruption, or more aptly, as you'll hear through this conversation, the convergence of the legacy and the novel. Listen along as we cover some of the basics and set the stage for this brave new world. My name is Paul McCrory, and I'll be your host today. By way of background, I lead a delivery and discovery team in the capital markets technology space for one of the big five Canadian banks, and I'm a volunteer member of the Canadian RegTech Association. For those of you who don't know the Canadian RegTech Association, we are a non-for-profit organization focused on solving regulatory challenges through collaborative efforts between key RegTech stakeholders, which include regulated entities, technology vendors, and regulatory bodies. On today's panel, I'm joined by Eric Richmond and Brian Gelfand. Eric is the COO at CoinSquare, a leading cryptocurrency trading platform in Canada, and he's the CEO of Tetra Trust's company, Canada's first regulated custodian for digital assets. He has in-depth knowledge of the principles, applications, and current developments relating to blockchain technologies and the regulators' approach to these technologies across multiple jurisdictions. Prior to CoinSquare, Eric was a lawyer at Blake Castles and Graydon, where he advised clients on a variety of corporate and capital markets transactions. Brian is a consultant to a, and senior advisor to Ernst & Young, advising clients in the areas of financial market infrastructure and regulation for both traditional and digital assets. Brian has worked on several projects involving cryptocurrency, securities, central bank digital currency, and is a member of the R3 CBDC working group and the Atlantic Council CBDC Roundtable. Prior to his consulting role, Brian was a senior executive at the TMX Group with responsibilities for derivative markets and post-trade services for securities and derivatives. Earlier in his career, Brian was also a lawyer who practiced law and worked for the International Organization of Securities Commissions. Guys, thanks very much for joining me. Reading those bios, we couldn't have found, I think, two uh, more relevant subject matter experts to discuss today's topics. Um, I'd like to jump in and kind of start off, you know, definitely the ground floor for, for both of you um, with kind of more taxonomy and glossary and really setting the tone um, for crypto and and how today, you know, it, c- it complements and converges uh, between traditional financial markets uh, and digital assets and how the sector is um, is evolving. So Brian, uh, I was hoping you could lead us off. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, it's, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me today. Mm-hmm. And it's great to be on a podcast with Eric, uh, who's a guy in the industry that I, I uh, re- respect a great deal. Um, so convergence is a, is a theme that uh, we're all seeing in the markets today. And when, when we say convergence, it's really convergence between the traditional legacy financial market institutions and infrastructures and the new distributed and uh, digital markets and infrastructures or, or what we, you know, we have to have acronyms for everything. So TradFi and DeFi. And um, what we're really seeing is a, a, a great deal of interest among traditional market participants and market intermediaries 
in accessing the benefits of digital space and being able to provide services to their clients who are demanding access mm -hmm. uh, to new digital assets. At the same time, uh, people who are building uh, ecosystems, platforms, services, launching tokens, um, they want access to, to the traditional market players and market participants because that's where the money is uh, and that's where the business is. So we're at one point um, earlier and you know, we're operating in very telescope timeframes here because 2017 is a long time ago. But uh, you know, originally we saw the digital infrastructure being imagined as an alternative to the traditional market infrastructure and the rules and regs and participants. But increasingly we see the, uh, the two sides converging uh, because they see really mutual benefit to working together. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's moving so quickly, right? It's, it's at a breakneck speed. So I know, and, and Eric, from your perspective at CoinSquare, can you talk, you know, as, the, as these worlds converge, uh, maybe just a key couple of points of the opportunities and benefits um, moving into this new world, um, again, complementing traditional finance, like who are you seeing from a client perspective and, and what are they doing? Yeah, definitely, and and, uh, and thanks for having me on the Paul Paul and mm -hmm. uh, and Brian. Great to uh, great to be with you on the pod as well. Uh, I learned in your in your intro that you're a lawyer as well, so two lawyers on the podcast that could be a, a good thing or a bad thing. Um, on I'm the cover uh, lawyer, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, on the on the um, so yeah, on on the question in terms of like you know what we're seeing and what we have seen, I guess you know in 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 2017. There was really a large influx of retail interest, and that was really where the markets were being driven. Mm -hmm. uh, you had this new asset class that was that was that was created, uh, you know, around since essentially you know 2008, but but growing from every year from there with ups and downs. Uh, you know, the main the, the the mainstream quote unquote really thought the market was a, a black market at that point in time, right? There's was only something that was done on the used on the dark web. Uh, crypto had a few stains on its face in terms of uh, some incidents that, that have happened in the past, such as uh, Silk Road or, or Mount Gox, where there was, was hack of an exchange. Uh, but 2017 was really the year where a lot of that came together. Um, and you really saw uh, the retail interest leading the charge. Um, and then the institutional infrastructure being built out. Mm -hmm. um, and that was when, uh, you know, you had a lot of the, the early institutions start looking at the space. Uh, you had CME launch the futures exchange, uh, the CBOE, I, be I believe followed suit, or maybe it was the reverse between the two. Um, and, and, and you had a lot of, you know, they thought that at the time, or at least the retail thought that this would be, you know, the unlocking the industry. Um, unfortunately, what it looks like what happened was, is that, you know, the infrastructure was being built, but it wasn't built yet. It was a lot of projects, a lot of promises, um, but the industry still needed more time to mature and grow. Uh, and then of course you had kind of like a two year lull period, uh, between essentially the end of 20, uh, the middle of 2018 until the end of 2020, uh, and the end of 2020, you start having this institutional interest really flow in. Um, and that the result of that was really from, you know, the infrastructure that had been built two years prior, uh, you had certain industries kind of figure out how we can. Uh, you know, solve some of the, the corporate and institutional needs that are required for, for you know, any regulated entity uh, to, to operate in the space, uh, what tools that they have, you know, ensure things like custody, obviously, is, is a big 
is a big point in the industry mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that there, there are solutions for that. Um, and then you saw this wave of, of corporations put, uh, you know, Bitcoin and other assets on their balance sheets um, as essentially, a, a, you know, a lot of them for as, a, as a hedge for inflation or just an, an alternative to gold. Um, and then you have, you know, the DeFi explosion uh, of, that, of that space, which is, uh, you know, which is an industry that uh, Brian touched on at the, at the beginning, um, which, which, uh, which really provides an additional opportunity for, for retail investors to play in, in certain spaces that, uh, such as, you know, lending and, and interest-bearing accounts and, and, and all that, um, but in, without using an intermediary. Uh, which which has a lot of cool and interesting opportunities for for investors. Mm -hmm. Amazing, you know, just moving moving. That's why I say the market's converging, but the way that you know how quickly a, a financial market is evolving in, in this world and, and how it's impacting the players. Uh, you're saying initially with retail, now moving to institutional, and how that interplay is working. Um, from that, I'd, I'd like to kind of come to the technology, of blockchain, and and. Um, what makes this new this technology and, and the development of the infrastructure and the technology uh, attractive uh, for multiple asset class? And then maybe we can talk a little bit. I know it's in in the news about um, some of the challenges. Um, and maybe Brian, can you can you lead us off with that? Sure. Thank you, Paul. So in in terms of the technology, you know, we're 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 talking about distributed ledgers mm -hmm. or or blockchains, mm -hmm. and uh, there are variations on a theme. Um, with, within that, that description of what a blockchain is. But essentially, uh, we're talking about a, uh, a system where there is no central authority who is stamping and approving things. We're talking about a system where multiple uh, computers all over the world are validating transactions, are validating blocks of data that are being added to the chain of blocks, to the blockchain. And this um, has some interesting features that make it appealing uh, to participants in, in the financial world. Uh, one is that it allows for uh, disintermediation, taking people out of the chain, which are the, not, not the blockchain, but the chain of intermediaries in a transaction. Um, mm -hmm. For I think the first, you know, the folks who initially imagined uh, what this could do, they were looking at really taking power away from central governing authorities. Um, but it also allows for a different type of confidence and a trustless infrastructure. Uh, the, the other thing that makes this very interesting is that uh, many of the distributed ledgers allow for smart contracts. Smart contracts essentially are uh, uh, pieces of code that live on the distributed ledger that work autonomously on an I mean, a simple example would be an if-then basis. So you can say, well, um, if my security, my, my, my stock is represented by a token, if there is a, a dividend declared, then that dividend is going to be automatically uh, extended to the folks who have the token. So again, it, it has the potential to allow uh, features and efficiency that you don't have in a system where we are relying on multiple intermediaries, multiple um, uh, types of validations that have to be done by different uh, parties in the market. So there, there are a lot of uh, efficiencies that people see. 
some of the challenges that have been raised by, by blockchain is speed and capacity. And every time you see a use case or a proof of concept, there's a discussion around whether the tech, the distributed ledger technology has the capacity to process as many transactions as quickly as necessary and the cost of affecting those transactions. So we, we've reached a point now where the, the volume in the market and also the interest in uh, participating in, in distributed ledgers is such that there's a lot of efforts being done to increase this, the, the throughput and the capacity of those technologies. Last if I can just, sorry, go, please. I was, I was going to add one. Of my, I was going to add one of my, my favorite examples, just to drive the point home on the on the, what the technology really brings. And, and I think I stole this from from Don Tapscott. So credit to him. And I, I heard this back in 2016, which essentially when when you're sending an email to someone uh, and you send them a PowerPoint presentation, you're not sending them uh, you know an original version of that PowerPoint presentation. You're sending them essentially a copy of that PowerPoint presentation that, that you still essentially have that version. Uh, what blockchain really has enabled is the ability to send that PowerPoint presentation, or let's just call it in this sense money. Uh, if you're sending money to anyone, you obviously want to make sure that the person who's sending you the money is then having a copy of that money uh, to another person. And that's really what, what blockchain has, has enabled. Um, but, you know, as, as Brian alluded to, you know, there's, there still are uh, challenges on, on the scalability side of things. Uh, I mean, you know, on the one hand, you know, sending a million dollars worth of Bitcoin across the world uh, you know, in, in, in relative terms is actually very, very, very cheap. Um, but what happens is the, the cost to send the, that a million dollars worth of Bitcoin is essentially the same cost to send a dollar, one dollar of Bitcoin. And that's where it becomes, you know, very, uh, very costly uh, to, to send. Um, and, that, and those are some of the, and there are unique um, um, things that are being developed and, and, and currently in, in, in production that, uh, that solve that issue. I appreciate that. Thanks very much, uh, Eric, for bringing that uh, component in. I think, you know, while we're here on kind of the background, and I know it's a little rudimentary, but it's, I think it's important to cover for, uh, for the audience here. I was hoping, especially with bringing the idea of what you started with Tetra, um, can you just talk a little bit about the infrastructure and the movement and particip participants, custodians, and how that works? If you can briefly run that through. Yeah, so I, I mean, it, like in short, um, you know, there's been a, a lot of infrastructure being built out over over the past, uh, you know, three four years. Um, a lot of that, a lot of that has come in, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you, you had one of the biggest incidents that happened in, in the crypto space was was Mt. Gox, um, and then you also had in Canada, obviously, the the Quadriga um, uh, incident, um, which has really, you know really perked up the regulatory bodies across the world to take action in the space um, to make sure that investors are protected and to make sure that, uh, you know, an incident like that would never happen again. Uh, and so what's happened is there are now techniques and methods that, you know, there is a, there are safe and secure ways to, to custody assets, for example, um, that, you know, essentially are impenetrable and, and, and it's not under, uh, under attack. And, and unfortunately, you know, it's one of those things where you learn from, your mistakes. And I think the industry has learned from those mistakes. So you have, for example, on the custodian side, um, you have, uh, you have multiple players across the industry now that provide that, that safe uh, and secure custody. And, uh, you know, in the, in the U S in particular, you know, there's, there's multiple types of offerings that are, you know, regulated. And, and now in Canada, myself, uh, as the CEO of, of, of Tetra Trust Company, which recently just launched 
uh, as Canada's first regulated uh, custodian, which again, you know, solves the solves solves a need for the industry uh, to enable some of these participants to to even participate in the industry because both from a obviously from a a, a comfort standpoint, they want to make sure that. Uh, there's regulatory oversight, but also from a regulatory standpoint, some of these bodies, some of these uh, players couldn't even interact with the industry without some of these uh, initiatives. And you see that coming every every single day. You have you have, you have, uh, you have new entrants, new players looking at different ways to tackle uh, the space. So especially on the on the institution front, which which we've seen over the past you know couple months here, uh, really really starts to tackle. Um, and, and that's, and that's what has then drove the adoption. And then you kind of have the, the snowball effect from there. Yeah. If I could just jump in, I think, you know, what, what Eric has said is really important because there is a question when you're talking about institutional players and traditional market participants, um, you, you know, they, they had, and many of them have fiduciary obligations, uh, to their own investors. So they really need to have robust, well-regulated, and I would add onshore, uh, institutions that can perform important functions like like custody. Mm -hmm. It's also it's also a question uh, of familiarity. Uh, you know they 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 deal with custodians in multiple other areas for different asset classes. And when they are going to get involved in a new asset class, they don't want to have to worry about how how they are going to manage their their keys. Uh, and they don't want to have to you know host wallets. They want to deal with uh, robust and trusted. Uh, intermediaries and counterparties. So mm -hmm. Eric launching Tetra uh, as the first regulated custodian in Canada, I think that's that's a very significant move. Mm -hmm. Yes, fantastic. Congratulations again on that, Eric, and I appreciate that uh, description. Thanks, Paul and Brian. So, and, and I think uh, it's, it's, it's really at the snowball effect, the exposure to new participants, how the market evolves. I wanted to just quickly touch, you know, based on this kind of phase one of this podcast and with, with uh, you gentlemen, I wanted to just go through key players in this market, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Eric, I was hoping you could just quickly again, kind of as we brief up the audience, talk about the, the differences and fundamental, um, fundamental difference between these two, um, two players. Sure. And I, I'll just touch on it because I think Brian kind of hit it a little bit earlier. Uh -huh. um, when you're talking about smart contracts, but essentially that's that's the core. I would say the core difference between the two. Um, Bitcoin, obviously, being the first to market um, mm -hmm. and the, the you know kind of the first use case where uh, it was it was using the blockchain for money. Um, and so, if you want to transfer value from one person to the other, um, mm -hmm. that's what kind of Bitcoin can provide. And really, what is it, what it's turned into? You know, initially, I think people looked at it as a as, as, as money, I, I think the, the sentiment now is really Bitcoin is an alternative to gold, right? Acting as an alternative to a, an asset that is an alternative to, uh, or, or a safe haven for, for cash. And, and what we have seen is, um, we, you, we have seen correlation, like, like negative correlation between, you know, Bitcoin and, um, and other asset classes. And, and that's what people are really looking for when they, uh, you know, are going to some of these safe haven assets like gold. Um, and so that's, that is predominantly what, what we have seen. Um, and then on Ethereum, you know, as, as, um, as Brian spoke about, uh, you know, the smart, the smart contract technology, that's what really, that's what really catapulted the industry from, you know, just using blockchain for money to using blockchain for many, many thousands of different use cases. 
Uh, that really unlocked the ability to have, you know, everything from NFTs, non-fungible tokens, uh, such as uh, I'm sure some, some people have heard about NBA Top Shot to, uh, you know, to just to, to DeFi projects um, and, and other sort of projects. And that's really where, or even out all the way to, you know, central backed digital currencies. Um, so really, that, that really unlocked a, a huge other uh, space for the industry uh, to play in. Yeah, I mean, I, I would add, I agree with everything Eric just said, I would add that Ethereum is really uh, an ecosystem. Yeah. It, it, it is a distributed ledger and multiple types of assets can, can live and operate on Ethereum and you can implement smart contracts and you can put other markets on top of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And the Ether token, um, while Bitcoin, as Eric said, is a means of payment and can be viewed as a store of value, uh, Ether is those things, but it's also how you pay to play on the Ethereum network. Mm -hmm. So there's, there, there's a much different uh, uh, model. If, if, like I said, I really view Ethereum as an ecosystem. It was described by the founders as a world computer, uh, but you can, you can put multiple protocols on Ethereum and, and, and there are multiple protocols uh, on Ethereum and the fees that you need to pay to use Ethereum are paid in, in Ether. So it actually has a utility apart from being a means of payment or a store of value. Fantastic. Thanks, Brian. And, and, and thanks both. But so can we, uh, given your expertise and, and familiar with the central bank digital currencies, can you can you expand a little bit more in that space? Yeah, so, so, so we have, if you look at the taxonomy of uh, virtual currencies, Bitcoin um, is worth what it's worth because of supply and demand. It's, it's, it's like a commodity. Ethereum has that element of commodity, uh, but then there's also the utility of the use of Ether to pay for the growing number of transactions and services on Ethereum. But there's nothing backing, there's no reserves backing those uh, digital currencies. Um, next on the spectrum, you have stable coins, which are coins which are supposed to be backed. I say supposed to be backed because with a couple of them, we're not sure, but backed dollar for dollar uh, or pound for pound uh, with a reserve currency. So that, that if you have a USDC, for example, that's worth a dollar, there's a dollar in a bank account somewhere backing that up. At the far end of the spectrum, you have central bank digital currency, which is analogous to paper currency. The every dollar of CBDC is a direct claim on the central bank, the same way a dollar coin is, mm -hmm. that a loony is. Um, so central bank digital currencies are being contemplated and explored and researched and piloted by central banks all over the world for a lot of reasons. One is to provide services to the unbanked who don't have bank accounts and don't have access to a lot of the electronic services that we currently have when we have bank accounts. And it's also viewed as a way to defend the monetary policy tools of central banks against the rise of stable coins. Uh, like Facebook DM, for example, which potentially could displace them. So central bank digital currency is the, to, keep, to, 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 to sum up, is a direct claim on the central bank. It's like a digital dollar bill that a, a, a central bank digital currency token is identical to cash money, but with the potential to use it in some of the ways that Eric and I have been describing uh, in terms of smart contracts, programmability, 
uh, and you know, taking costs out of the system. So look, it's, it's fascinating. So looking forward, right, the, with the future and evolution of this space, which is, is, is evolving again, we've talked about it, rapid pace. And, and the word snowball is, is uh, the, the demand and in, 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 in implies or uh, informs technology. So with this legitimacy, for the legitimacy of the crypto space for this CBDC, what does that mean for, could mean for Bitcoin or Ethereum going forward? I was hoping you could cool. continue on, Brian. Yeah, well, that's 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 one of the big questions is what will happen when you have central bank digital currency in the space? What will happen to the other types of virtual uh, mm -hmm. currency, those that are backed by deposits or those that are that are unbacked? Um, and it really depends on how those CBDCs are designed and how uh, what, what the use cases are. Uh, but I would say that I like the fact that you you ask about legitimacy, because I think the fact that the central banks are looking at these things and the international non-governmental organizations are, are actively exploring this space does add legitimacy, legitimacy to the concept of digital assets. And in, in, in many cases you'll have, and you have many proofs of concept today where central bank digital currency is interacting with digitized securities for wholesale settlement, for example. So I think this will contribute to the momentum of the development of this space and the, the different footprint that each of these occupy will really depend a lot on how those CBDCs are designed and implemented, whether they displace some of those other things remains to be seen, um, or whether they might fuel development in other areas uh, as well remains to be seen. And with Yeah, I'm, their... a, I'm a believer of the fueling uh, mm -hmm. piece of it. I mean, and this is something I actually, remember reading this and thinking about it, Paul Tudor Jones, when he first came into the space, released in his letter, kind of the same thought process you're like CBDCs, if anything, is it's, it's going to complement the industry, right? If, if you have the ability of customers, they're able to then now they have a digital dollar, let's call it, and they're able to store that digital dollar uh, on their phone. Well, that's now going to enable them to be able to trade or purchase or, or use other cryptocurrencies now a lot more seamlessly. Mm -hmm. um, so, so my view, it really, it really would just add to the, to the, the snowball effect of the space. And especially where, where you've staked your area in the space, um, Eric, I'm curious to know, and maybe we need to take more time to discuss this, um, what are we expecting in terms of development in Canada? And from a regulation and trading perspective, what does the future look like? Yeah, well, I mean, there's, uh, you know, especially on the on the exchange side. So there, there was recently guidance released by uh, the CSA, um, how how crypto asset trading platforms uh, should be regulated, which in short is regulated as a broker dealer or a marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, and now you, you do see the OSC starting to enforce that. Uh, they, you know, they're reaching out to kind of all the platforms that operate in Canada uh, to ensure that, that they are speaking with them and then eventually uh, abide by the, you know, the, the new framework they put forth. Um, and so there's just this, there will, will be this continued, um, uh, a, a continued regulatory push in, in Canada, uh, particularly Ontario. We have seen now a few enforcement actions uh, taken by the OSC, and we've also seen a few platforms pull out because of, of the, the regulatory requirements put forth. Um, so, you know, on the, on the one hand, you, you know, th that does result in, in less options. But on the other hand, you know, some of the platforms that are being pulled out uh, in this space, you know, they, they're pulling out because they don't have some of that 
uh, investor protection uh, features that you know the regulators expect. So they may be offering more coins than uh, what you know what would usually we, we, we would usually classify as suitable for uh, you know the the average retail user. Um, and this is just going to result in you know there 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 it, it just will take a little bit of time, but there will be a an IROC regulated broker dealer uh, exchange that comes out in Canada, uh, and there will be other ways for uh, you know people to to interact with uh, with with these regulated platforms. Um, and this is just going to add to the legitimacy of the space uh, and permit other players to to enter as well. Um, and so. You know, in, in my view, I think it's taken a long time for regulation to form. Regulation is finally catching up. Um, it, there will be a little bit of, you know, as we move through this phase, there will be frustrations, especially internally in the crypto community and hesitations. And, uh, you know, and it will be costly and, and, and there will be a lot of gray going on initially. Uh, but I think where we'll end up coming out of all of this, you know, give it a few few years, will be a lot stronger and safe crypto community, uh, especially in Canada. Yeah, thanks for that. I think as the space evolves, really, it seems to be the theme is space evolves, the technology responds, and then the two are running in parallel. So for our listeners and, and the listeners beyond, there's a really keen interest in the right tech space and um, we're watching actively. And I wanna thank you both for your time today. Uh, I really appreciate the discussion and there's a lot further um, kind of deeper dive we can get into hopefully in the future and um well, again thanks very much guys and uh you can visit our website for upcoming podcasts and and more information so thanks brian uh thanks eric